and welcome to your RAF Mildenhall Protestant Parish Podcast. We pray that today's message inspires and encourages your heart. Get ready for a life-changing word from the Lord. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Yeah, yeah, it's Sunday morning. It's a good morning to be here. It's a good morning to be with you. And so I want to just take a little bit of time to spend can, can, can we get comfortable? We, we family, right? I want to spend a little time and, and talk a little bit uh, about um, my family, just a little bit. I talk about them, about I love them, yeah. Talk a little bit about my family and a couple of things uh, that I think our passage today will address that hopefully will apply to you and your family. Now, last time I was with you, we talked, um, we dove into this series entitled, Excuse Me, Miss. Some of y'all may remember that. Uh, we looked at misindependence. Don't look for it in the dictionary. It's not there. Um, mistrust and misuse. And honestly, I considered continuing on with this particular series, uh, Excuse Me, Miss, but something drew me away from this. Between a ton of relevant topics discussed with people in and out uh, and uh, some of the things that God was showing me and the things I was experiencing. For example, uh, some of the books I was reading, this topic came up, uh, podcasts and short videos. I don't know what the algorithm was doing, but it was showing me this. Uh, There was a lot of things that was coming up that made me want to uh, move to this particular subject matter, okay? And so uh, once I saw that, and then a scripture came up, and I was like, ooh, okay, God. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's, okay, that's the way we're going. So uh, here we are. Here we are. And we find ourselves, the particular scripture, we saw, well, actually more of a storyline. So uh, the King David came up, and I was like, it clicked, okay? And so we find ourselves today in the book of 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 24. And we'll be reading verse 1 through 12, if that's all right. The book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, all right? Now, I'll be reading from the NIV because that's easier for me. And, uh, but if you have King James, God bless you, okay? Uh, but we will be reading from the NIV. And the Bible says, after Saul returns from, returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Watch this. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of the robe, of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, 
or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, uh, on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. All right, all right. Uh, as we go into this passage, I, I want to give a title for meditation. Now, people that know me know that I'm not one to really put titles on my messages, but I get how social media works, so here we go. Uh, I thought I would solicit the assistance of some women in my life. Uh, you may have heard this saying that it takes a village to raise a child, and I was blessed enough to grow up in a village. And I had a lot of aunts, I had a lot of play aunts, a lot of older play cousins, women in the church, and uh, in addition to all of this, of course, my wonderful mother and my grandmothers, okay? And growing up, uh, y'all may not believe this, but uh, I was a stubborn child. Don't, don't amen too loud, baby. Um, I was a stubborn child, headstrong, um, and as a child, I may have needed some correction or two every now and again, okay? And the women in my family would utter this particular phrase, or better yet, this question that will get me back on track, okay? That question, when I was talking out of pocket, when I was talking out the side of my neck, when I lost my mind, that question is your sermon title for today, and that question was, who you talking to? Who you talking to? Who you talking to? Now, I understand how that may come off and that may sound. It is not to whom are you talking. It is not who are you talking to, but who you talking to? Who you talking to? As we think about that, let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just ask at this time that you be with us now. May you maximize the message and the word that your people need to hear, that your Holy Spirit pervades in a way that it touches them in the way that they need, and that you minimize the messenger on today. We ask that you be with us, guide us, open our hearts and minds to receive whatever it may be. And we thank you now in advance, and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who 
you talking to? Who you talking to? I don't know uh, where you come from, but just on the statement alone, some of you may have flashbacks. Uh, uh, some of you may see your mama, grandmama in them face right now, the expression on their face. And some of you may even hear their voice, okay? For those that are not aware of this particular colloquialism, um, those that may be online or even in here, I want to explain what is actually being communicated when uh, moms in them would ask, who are you talking to? Uh, the wise, nurturing, building, teaching, training uh, women that would come and be a part of my life that, that would pose this question were not confused about uh, the statement that I made. They weren't confused at all, okay? In fact, uh, the, they insinuated by posing this question that clearly I was confused, okay? Typically, if this question was the retort to my statement, uh, it was to suggest uh, for me to highly look back at the tact or the appropriateness of what my statement was because I was leaning in the realm of disrespect. There may be some assumptions made about the intelligence due to the way, the unique way in which this question is phrased, but let me tell you, uh, this also is intentional. Who you talking to would not only uh, bring up things to stop me and to make me think because of the way it was phrased, but there was also other things that came with it. There were facial expressions and body language. Uh, there was tone and sometimes even volume. Uh, the phrasing of this alone will catch people's ear and eye, but I have to give you the full picture because uh, this juxtaposition to the proper use of the English language was intentional to convey that something is off with you. In this case, with me. Who you talking to? And so this caused me to stop and to re-examine who I was talking to, what was going on, what was happening. And so I pose this question for you today. Who you talking to? And I want this to allow us to stop and examine how we talk, the language we use, and the thoughts and the expressions we have toward one another. Now, for my mother and many others that were raising me, this came off as a warning and a reminder, but I just wanted to be a reminder for you. Is that all right? A reminder to re-examine who they are. Because when my mom asked me, who you talking to, she needed me to recognize who she is. I'm your mama. Who you talking to? She needed me to recognize the second part, who I was. I was a child. I was her child. Who are you talking to? And finally, how I was talking to them. So my tone, my words, what I was saying, and everything that came with it.
who you talking to? Now, I'll take no responsibility for this because I personally believe I am a great person. I, I blame my kids. Uh, but my wife has gotten so good at this particular question that words aren't even necessary. It is just a look. Who are you talking to? And I know some may very much be able to understand what that look is. In this case, for me, she resembles the commonality I saw with the women in my inner circle growing up. Now, I don't know what the common factor was. I'm just going to leave that out there. I'm a great person. However, they all seem, even my little sister, all seem to have this understanding about how to talk. Who are you talking to? Who we are? Who they are? And how we say it? All right. This question is going to be important for us as we examine this particular passage. Because who we're talking to is the reality check question that we need for us to apply to our lives every day. We need to think about when we communicate who we are, who they are, and how we should talk to people. Okay? To illustrate this, I thought the scripture was rather apropos. I thought it was fitting. Because if you get some background on this, you remember that uh, David here is a young man that is anointed to be king. But Saul was anointed to be king before him, okay? And Saul is doing all of these things, but he messes around and disobeys God, and then God rejects him, rejects him as king. And this young budding king in David uh, not only doesn't put on the crown right away, but he works for Saul. He's a servant of Saul. And so although he's not crowned yet, he does all of these things, working with Saul, working for Saul, works his way up into the high, higher rankings of his armies. He's leading his armies and doing all of these things, and people are lauding his praises, David, lauding David's praises. And this doesn't go well for Saul. He doesn't like this. And so he looks to kill David, okay? His jealousy incites him to try and kill David, and now David is on the run. David has gone hiding, and this is where we find ourselves. And so we see that uh, the scripture starts off with King Saul finding out that David is in the area. He, he found out, he got some scout. He finds out where, King, where David is, and he says, well, let's go get him. And he gets thousands of men to go chase David, all right? Now, as we look into this, I want you to see the difference of how these two men that have been anointed to be king act, especially when we're thinking about who you're talking to, okay? Now, the elders, the wise women of my day growing up uh, will provoke this question uh, to make sure, once again, to know who we're talking to, who, who they are, who we are, and how we should be talking to them, to others. Okay? This is important to keep in mind because there's a law 
and principle at work. The reason why I keep repeating this is because the law that is in place here is the law of identity. The law of identity. What do you mean by that, chap? I'm glad you asked. Uh, This is the law that measures how you see things. How I see myself is how I treat myself. Okay? Uh, This law doesn't just apply to self. It also applies to others. Based on how I see you, that's how I'm going to treat you. Okay? And so uh, the writer and speaker, author and speaker, John C. Maxwell, puts it this way. Um, How we view things determines how we do things. How we view things determines how we do things. Okay? And so if we understand how to identify, see how our thinking is, who you talking to, understand who that is, who we are, and how we address them, then we can better acknowledge and examine how we attack life. Because how we view things determines how we do things. All right? And so this is especially important when we are engaging with these three particular entities, God, yourself, and others, particularly your neighbor. God, yourself, and your neighbor, okay? And who's your neighbor? Anyone in your sphere of influence or engagement, all right? Now, let's quickly run into what we see here with these two men in our passage. We see that Saul doesn't seem, at least in my estimation, to have a close relationship with God, or at least not a true understanding and belief of who God is and God's power and God's authority. Why do you say that? Well, we see how God, uh, how Saul acts and responds to God, okay? We see that Saul seems to talk about God like he's talking about somebody else's God. If you go back, you see him talk to Samuel, the prophet Samuel. He said, your God, your God. Okay, as if that's not his. All right. And and we also see that we know that God doesn't want any harm to come to his anointed. He knows that David is anointed. He already knows that, hey, I'm not supposed to do this. But here he is chasing after David. Not just to have a stern conversation with him. To kill him. And so. His actions are directly disobedient to God's will. He disobeys God and then follows up by trying to kill his anointed and future king of Israel. In his defiance, I can hear the wise women of my upbringing asking, who are you talking to? Because if you knew who you was talking to, you would take time to reexamine who God is. And his actions seem to show, just like sometimes I did growing up, you forgot who God is. My mom used to to tell me, you forgot who I am. You must have forgot who this is, what this relationship is. Who are you talking to? And when he forgot who God is, we see that his lack of reverence and understanding causes him to act in ways that not only uh, led to his demise, but didn't bring any blessing or joy to anybody else. I, I, I can think, I, I can imagine 
a Saul acting like a kid. I, I know this because uh, my kids act this way. Um, I, could, I can think about how I could tell my daughter, hey, baby girl, we're about to get in the car. We got to go. We're in a rush. Uh, grab your homework. That is all because that's all we can bring in the car. Okay, daddy. We pack up stuff and everything. We get in the car. I look. This little girl has grabbed uh, a bag loaded with crayons, stickers, toys, stuffed animals, tablets, and other games. She's grabbed everything, half of the house. Okay? And I'm like, baby girl, I, I know I shouldn't have asked. I know. But I did. I asked. I said, baby girl, what, what you doing? And she tells me, oh, I'm grabbing my stuff. I said, baby girl, um, why do you have all this extra stuff? I told you what to grab. Why do you have all this extra stuff? And she looks at me and she says with a straight face, oh, I thought my little brother and little sister, the baby right there, I thought they might be bored. Really? Baby girl, they're fine. Did you at least grab your stuff, though? Oh, I forgot. See, see, that's how Saul wanted to act when he was told to decimate the enemies. And then he brought back all the spoils and everything else, which ended up being a bad idea. Then talking about to, to the prophet, oh, I got all of the I got all the fat of cast and stuff to offer to God. That, that's why I brought it. God told you to kill everything. Burn it all. No, no, I got I got this. See this nice big cow. That's for you, God. Okay. Stop playing crazy. You forgot who you're talking to. And when we forget who we're talking to, we act accordingly. And we see that that's what David does. Uh, that's what Saul does here. But David acts very differently. He respects God. And we see that he uh, does this and uses this to not only defeat Goliath, but he does this to kill the tens of thousands of, of enemies in battle. And so trusting God and his power, understanding God's word is part of him, part of what allows David in particular to walk in faith and to walk in confidence. And this is the part that I want you to understand. So we have God, who we talking to, how we talk to God, but also self. How do you talk to yourself? Hmm? Who are you talking to? How do we talk to ourselves? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, if you look back, Saul had some negative thinking. The Bible says that he was anointed, given missions. He had victories and different things like that. But watch this. The Bible says that he was little in his own mind, even though he was king of Israel. Little in his own mind, even though he was king of Israel. Watch this. In verse 24 of 15, it says that he feared the people and obeyed their voice. Hmm. He was so concerned and worried about what they were doing and what they were thinking that he was willing to dismiss what God wanted him to do. And that made Saul operate in a place, not in his anointing, but ultimately in his affliction. And so instead of operating as king, which he was decidedly by God told that he was going to be, he's working in imposter syndrome. thinking that he has to prove himself every step of the way. And I can only imagine the self-talk that he was having that would cause him to fall into himself. Once again, 
I can hear the wise women of my upbringing asking, who are you talking to? Provoking us to re-examine who we are. Who are you talking to like that? It's amazing how sometimes we talk better to other people. We encourage them and everything, but we beat ourselves down. And we forget that God has already said that we are peculiar people. We are more than conquerors, that we are a chosen royal priesthood. But yet, we have the nerve to talk down and bad about ourselves. Hmm. But sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's because we've allowed the past to predicate what our future is going to be and who we identify as. Sometimes we allow not only past actions, but past happenings, things that have happened to us to determine our value and our view of ourselves. When it's again, how we view things determines how we do things. And so because we have a poor view of ourselves, we act just like that. And here we see Saul doing just that. Not acting as the king, but acting as an imposter. Not acting as God's anointed, but acting as one just filling in. But David understood this. Even though he wasn't wearing the crown, even though he was working as Saul's servant, he walked and carried himself as royalty. And this is what it means to understand who we are. He understand who God said he was, and so he walked in that. We have to be able to understand that we have value. Sometimes we look at the sum of our life, the pieces that have fallen apart, and we look at the shattered pieces and wondering if we can put it back together because as far as we can see, it's just a mess of pieces. But if we are allowed to ask, who are you talking to? And see the pieces and carefully re-examine, reimagine, and rearrange the pieces, those mess of pieces can turn into a wonderful masterpiece depending on how you put it together. You have value, and when you understand that, you'll arrange your life accordingly. And last but not least, we see that these two things influence how not only uh, we see that we uh, look at how we view God, how we view ourselves, but this also influences how we view one another. Who are we talking to? When we reverence God and we value ourselves, we can value others. John C. Maxwell once again points out in his lectures, he, tried, he makes an effort to talk to people, uh, especially those that are coming up, and, and he will say, hey, I, have, I've, I value you. And people that are skeptical say, you don't know me. How can you value me? He says this. He says, I value you because God values you, and God doesn't make mistakes. And so when we identify with what God has said, it is easy to make that connection with not only ourselves, but with other people. And so we see that the lack of self-worth and value that we see here with Saul allows him to fall into a space of vengefulness, anger, jealousy, to hunt down David. And David was no threat to him. David, on the other hand, honors God, his wishes, and has a high level of self-value. And we see that even though somebody was trying to kill him and do him wrong, he was humble 
and did what was right. This is a high level of maturity that we should all strive for. Because let's be honest, if someone tried us, sometimes we will be tempted to strike back. I heard somebody say that uh, if you try me, we're going to have a misunderstanding every time, right? You may be tempted, to, based on how people treat you, to uh, lay holy hands on people and to bless them out and to uh, speak in tongues. Hopefully, you're not doing that, okay? But some people may be, depending on how they deal and feel about themselves, when other people step into their environment and disrespect them and try them, they aren't able to have the kind of maturity we see David have here. And they're willing to sing the old hymn by Toby and Wigway, try Jesus. Don't try me, because I fight. Okay? So I want us to keep in mind the spiritual maturity here, because he understands who God is. He understands who he is. And so because of that, he's able to treat others appropriately, even if they wish him harm. The question, which has no con shame from combination or uh, any judgment, just sincere evaluation. The question is, who are we talking to? Who are we talking to? As we look to close and the praise team comes up, we see that Jesus is quoted in the gospel of Matthew, particularly, uh, saying what the greatest commandment is. And he says that the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are and all that you have. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to see this. First, you have to love God, like truly. But to love him, you got to understand who God is, who are you talking to? And then he says to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a caveat there. To love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes we miss the part about loving ourselves. Or maybe we don't love ourselves, which is exactly why we act and we treat people the way we do. Why we lean in. And just like Saul, concerned about their approval, easily put into fits of jealousy and anger, and so willing to go against what God has already ordained him to do. Not able to fully step into the kingdom role that he's been given. I believe there's a reason that God is trying to Help us to understand who we're talking to, because if we do, I believe God is able to imbue a better world through you. But it starts with you. God wants you to know that you've been empowered to experience better, to live better, and ultimately to be better. You don't have to be relegated to the thoughts, opinions, and past that may be dragging you down. God has already spoken over your life. How many of you know that the people are the church? The church 
is ecclesia, is the called out. That means you were chosen. Which also means you have purpose. Which also means you have value. And if God says you have value, who is it for anybody else, even yourself, to say otherwise? Who are you talking to? And so today I want you to remind yourself as you ask this question, who you are, who God is, or better yet, who God says you are, and who other people are as well. And prayerfully, that will remind you how to talk to yourself, how to reverence God, and how to address others, even when they mean you harm. And when you're armed with this truth, you can move out in the world and remember that how you view things determines how you do things. And when you understand that, how you do things will make all the difference. And so I would like to end, conclude by asking you, who are you talking to? When you talk to God, when you talk to yourself, and when you talk to others, examine who really are you talking to? We pray that you are inspired and encouraged today. Join us next week for another life-changing experience.